Wouldn't it be neat if you could like actually close your ears, like without you know using <laughs> your hands, but just like close them, just like yes. you can close your eyes. Yes. So you couldn't hear people. Yeah. Uh huh. Then you would have an excuse when somebody was telling you to do something. <laughs> oh, sorry, my them. ears were closed. Yep. <laughs> That'd be so weird. Have you ever heard those speech jammer things where it repeats it back to you a couple of seconds later? I've tried to do um, it. It is very difficult. It is. Uh, when I was doing debt collection, though, every once in a while I'd get a phone call where it was like that. And I don't know if they were intentionally, like if they had like an app or something that was doing it, or if it was just a weird connection. But mm. I fought through those things, man. I just acted like it wasn't there, and I was able to just keep talking. Oh, you know what? I wonder if it's if it's like they were on speaker, and like your words coming through were like being picked up by the microphone, and so they were coming back to you. You know what I'm saying? Because um, I've I've heard that um, on audio calls at work, if somebody is not using headphones and the sound yeah. is coming through their computer speakers then the microphone might pick up the sound and just pipe it right back usually a much shorter delay though oh really okay that's the case the speech jamming thing is like a full like word behind or Mm. i i don't know what time the timing of it but it i think speech jammer stuff is much slower okay yeah i i know i've done some of it before but i don't remember what the timing was like it's very mm. difficult, though, because you have to focus really, really hard on something else and just say the words. Are you uh, familiar with what? I think it's called a side tone. So side whenever you talk into like a microphone, it plays your voice through your headset so that you can hear yourself talking. And Interesting. you would think that would be distracting, but it's apparently there. And I think cell phones have that as well, even. It, really? It's, Seems like it would be unnecessary, but I first learned about it when I was trying to wire up my headset for my paramotor because you being able to hear what you're saying on the radio gives you that assurance that you're saying what you're saying is actually getting out there. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, a second check that you your mind automatically does. Because mm-hmm. if you're just trying to talk but you can't hear yourself talking at all, it's super weird. Huh. So it's it is it supposed to basically so, like, when we talk with nothing, you know, no phone or anything or headset, we hear ourselves through our ears and through yeah. our own skull and whatnot. But, like, we uh-huh. hear it through our ears. So, if we cover them, we're trying to basically replace it with a sound, a, a digital sound, to make it seem like we don't have anything on our ears. Yeah, I think it's something like that. Because, like I said, when you can't hear yourself talking, you feel like you're not getting out there and you feel like you have to talk louder yeah you have to shout um but i'm pretty sure cell phones even have it because uh, i was playing with mine the other day i think i had it on and i was like maybe tapping the microphone and i heard it coming through my earpiece oh wow not like my not like an earpiece i had in but like the the speaker huh so i don't know i have to look Never into that a little more anyway um pay attention when you're listening to stuff from now uh-huh. on hmm. and see if it's got a uh, side tone um, I learned a new new, new word today. Side tone. Yeah, so um, I've got some updates on my guitar. It's been moving along quite nicely. Ooh. But before we get into that, what have you been up to lately? Uh, so I have been working on a promotional video for our church. We oh. are... Um, <laughs> I know you're trying to act surprised here. We just talked about this. Yes, we uh, did. So... We are we're trying to advertise our our Easter service to just like local people in our area. So we're we're running this Facebook ad campaign, um, and uh, it's uh, so I shot this video that has different clips of it. it's got a clip of our pastor speaking, and then it's got different clips inside our church building, and uh, it is it is definitely a challenge trying to uh, shoot this video because. Um, I'm trying to do it very discreetly and get all these different angles and shots inside church during service, which is difficult, um, trying to be very non-intrusive. And then, of course, getting shots of just people 
mingling and and talking after the service and trying to not get people to look down my camera lens <laughs> when yeah. I stick the camera in people's faces. Uh, so it's definitely a challenge there, but um, it's been a fun experience so far. And uh, we're going to be making another one later uh, after Easter. That's just going to be kind of a, a general like welcome and introduction to our church. We're going to have like on our website permanently. So, well, I'll have to come down, and we can be a filming duo. I would love if you would come down. We could be like a real film crew. <sighs> That'd be spectacular. We could have a boom mic and everything. Yeah, proper proper audio. We could bring your jib. We could bring your fly cam. Ooh, Get real serious about it. Yeah. Oh, you know um, what? Speaking of drones, we want to get a drone shot because we have an, a fairly nice-looking um, steeple on our church building. Um, it does, yeah. it does, it's not like, it's not huge and it doesn't have like a bell or anything. Um, but it is, it's fairly nice and we want to get a drone shot kind of circling the church and mm. we want to ideally do it probably either in the morning or like in the evening, like golden hour times and mm-hmm. get the sun to come into the shot. Um, as you do kind of like a, like an orbiting movement. Yeah. I think that would look really cool. I am pretty decent at those kinds of shots. Yeah, yeah. We need you. We need you to come down and be part of the film crew. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's super fun because you have multiple things going on with the drone at the same time. Because mm-hmm. you have to be, you have to be yawing. Basically, you yaw right as you. What's the word? Tilt left. Pitch. Roll. Pitch roll, roll. y'all as well. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you roll left. So your drone is flying left, but you yaw right. So that's what makes it go in a circle. Yeah, and then you've got to keep it equidistant from the center. You got to keep it. And that's how you, you focus. Focus. Get it to stay looking in the center. Yeah. So you've got to get those two things balanced right. Because if you have too much yaw, it's just going to make little circles. Yeah, and your center point will easily go quickly go out of frame, and if you have too much pitch or I'm sorry roll, mm-hmm. it will just fly sideways. So you have to get those balanced, and that's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, there's definitely an, an art to be mastered. And then you could also sh- throw in pitch too, because the camera pitches up and down. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you pr- pr- probably wouldn't need that. It would be cool. No, no. But at least for this shot, I think we would just want to kind of orbit the the spire, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. We, we reviewed the video. It's looking pretty good. Some My first go at it. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not bad at all. I mean, you've got your, your good recording elements. You've got the pastor talking off to the side of the screen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's... Almost like in rule of thirds, uh, sort of a setup, which is good. Mm-hmm. And the exposures all look good. And um, yeah, I think it'll be a good finished product. Um, I had something. Oh, I was going to mention on the. Uh, you were talking about trying to get it to look natural with the people. And I think oh, yeah. that is always the most challenging thing <laughs> is having. Uh, good actors so to speak. in this case you don't have actors and uh-huh. so trying to get people to just be natural around cameras even though there are cameras everywhere people still act weird around them when it's especially like a professional type camera so mm-hmm. yeah my yeah friend, my friend josiah and i once were talking about how maybe with everybody having cameras around that'll make people more comfortable in front of them and it'll be easier to find like good actors or at least people who are comfortable in front of camera but so far i'm not finding that to be the case no i don't think so and it's yeah it's like it was a challenge because we so nobody knew that we were filming this video we hadn't said anything we hadn't made an announcement in church and we wanted to keep it that way because we didn't want people to um we didn't want people to really notice it. You know, best case scenario was people just thought, oh, that's Christopher off playing with his camera or something, right? Yeah. Like, because I've been recently doing some photos. Uh, we're updating our church directory and I was doing photos of families. So, you know, maybe if we just think I'm doing something like that, have my camera out, then it would be a little more discreet. I will say it's it was interesting working on this this video because... It's like my first time in like 
a long time that I've, well, for one, worked on a video, but second, made a video for other people with other people in it. Normally they've been like, we've done a lot of the puppet videos with mm-hmm. the puppets we built, like Muppet style, um, yep. little short films and just other, I've done some like other kind of special effects videos and stuff, but they've, they've never had like other people in it. So, and it hasn't been like something that I'm making for someone else really. So it's, it's been interesting cause I'm, I'm like trying to take what other people give me as input and try and like interpret that in my head and then spew out this, you know, what I think they're envisioning in this video so it's uh it's interesting um it's just you know it's kind of a first honestly if i had to say but uh yeah it's been it's been very cool well remember when i showed you the pen camera that i have pen camera yeah i showed it to you once uh it was before we ran that 5k at uh eaa wow that was a long time ago i'm sorry my brain doesn't go back that far you're gonna have to tell me again (laughs) I must have uh, ran out of space in my brain and hit. Just had to move some of that to the trash. Yeah, yeah. You need to get an external driver backing up all your. Do I do? Yes. Many terabytes. Oh wow! Look at that. Oh, it does kind of look familiar. Yeah, it claims it shoots uh, 1080p, so you can get you know good HD shots. Nice. I'll I'll be far less. um, It's called a spy pen camera. Oh, it's a little fatter than a regular pen, but it's not distractingly so. Okay. So, and it works as a pen, and I was just opening up the box. I bought it a while back thinking it looked cool, mm-hmm. and there were a couple of situations where I might want to use it. Um, it uh, comes with a 16 gigabyte card, so that's a pretty decent amount of video. Yeah. And I was just opening up the box again, it comes with like seven extra ink cartridges for the pen so oh it's a fu- it's a functioning pen oh yeah that's works. awesome that's awesome yeah still writes perfect to perfect the perfect thing to fulfill every young boy's spy dreams i know i used to have a pen <laughs> knife where you could pull the pen apart and there was a knife inside. oh, oh. now okay know, just the now here's thing. the question did you have like a sword cane because we all no. know that's where it's at yeah but it looks distracting when you're carrying a cane around because most people don't carry canes these days. Unless you're <laughs> an old folk who have your own have a cane <laughs> regularly. Yes, yes. Uh, but you don't just see gentlemen walking down the street with their top hat and their cane anymore. So No, so sad the times that have changed. Yeah. Uh, so quick question about that pen. I'm, and I'm sure you've done tests. What does the video quality look like on that? Because it says 1080, but like I have mm-hmm. to admit, I'm a little skeptical of 1080p footage coming out of a pen. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was surprised by the video quality. Oh. Um, it certainly does not match that of a DSLR or even like a GoPro, but it was. I, I thought it was surprisingly well for coming out of a pen. Nice. It's the kind of thing where you could stick it in your pocket and take video and nobody would ever know. Very nice. Very nice. Now, is the camera so is the camera facing like out of the side so like if I put it in a in mm-hmm. a shirt pocket it could record? Yep. Oh, that's nice. Maybe and I need to give me one of those the... for for these videos I'm doing of our church. That's that's what I'm saying. Um yeah, you just push down the the cap on the top and it starts recording. Wow. That yep. is just like high tech right there. It's absolutely what you need. I was also thinking we were talking about doing those shots of like uh, going down the aisle. I think what you need to get is a glider and you just put your camera on top and you just throw it down the aisle. Oh, or you yeah. know what? I'll just I'll just <laughs> I'll just use like a, a little paper airplane and it'll look like something one pastor's daughters made. <laughs> there you go. Blame it on somebody else. Yeah, of course. And still get your shots at the same time. Yep. Perfect. All right. Well, I'm glad we figured that out. What else are you working on? That's honestly been pretty much it. It's been um, it's been pretty much that, and then just finishing up school here before my spring break, which is next week. Um, mm. 
uh, uh, we talked about the film scanner on the last episode. I haven't gotten yeah. a chance to do a whole lot with that. Um, it's at my parents' house. I'm at my apartment right now during the week. But uh, I have been looking into causes for that blueness, that bluing effect that we discussed a lot in the last episode. Yeah. So what seems to be the trouble is that so the film stock has this orange tint to it, right? Like it's kind of like an orangey brown. Yeah, looks more colorful if you hold it up to the light. But if you if, if anyone's seen thirty five millimeter film, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so it's not it's not perfectly transparent, right? So if you invert this film, if you just take a photo of this and invert it on your computer, then it's going to look very blue because blue is the opposite color from like orange or brown whatever on the color spectrum right the color wheel so i'm pretty sure that's why everything's looking so blue makes sense i don't think i think what the issue is i'm not correcting for that that the color of the base essentially um in my software and Mm -hmm. it so essentially like i'm thinking what's doing is it's just scanning it in and doing this inversion without without um doing the correction for the base and i think there's a way i can set create a color profile for the film i'm not sure exactly how i would do that i might have to use some spare film that doesn't have a photo on it or otherwise maybe just mm. use maybe there the gap in between photos would be enough um, but I yeah. like I essentially need to tell it, hey, this is this orange color you're looking at here is the this color should actually be like white, right? And then if I can yeah. tell it to do that, then it should, in theory, fix most of the color issues. So I need to work on doing that, and I'm pretty sure there is a way to do this kind of custom profile thing that I'm that I have in my head. Um, I just need to actually work on creating it and figuring all that out but i i think there's hope in sight for for my film scanner still mm. well it would seem like you just have the option to set up a like a white balance and it probably balance? is that kind of correction i just need to see it auto crops the photos in the film tray so mm. i don't know how it would pick out like i really i just need to pick a a color sample in that little gap between two photos on the film strip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's very. Or even just a white spot, a highlight, something that you know is supposed to be completely yeah, and white. that could work too. Ideally, this is some a step that I could only do once per. I want to say per film type, like if I'm shooting Fuji Extra Four Hundred. Or if I'm shooting Kodak Gold 200, you know, one for each of mm. those film stocks. Hopefully it would be, you know, close enough on all of them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very interesting. I had no idea there was so much that went into the entire scanning process. Because to me, I, I guess I always thought, <laughs> I thought the majority of the work was in the development of the film. Which turns out, you know, you and I did that last summer. It's actually way easier than you would think. <laughs> you can buy a kit yeah. off Amazon and have do it at home. You know, it's done in a matter of minutes, and then you let it dry overnight, and like, boom, you've got self-developed film. Results look great, but the scanning process—it's weird. I guess I always imagined that. You know, you just you—I don't know—pop into the scanner, and out comes your perfect-looking photo. But no, it's it's way more complicated than that. So, yeah. Yeah, lots to experiment with still in the future. Nice. Well, I look forward to you figuring out all those problems because I was looking on eBay. You got the uh, 8800F, I think. Mm -hmm. So I was was looking at the 9000F. Oh, you got to one-up me. uh, (laughs) Yep, it's... uh, the uh, DPI is just a little bit higher, so I could get just a, just a little bit nicer one. <laughs> There's also a, a Mark II of that, I think, I've seen. I think I've seen more YouTube tutorials on that one. Because um, I don't know how old it is, but uh, it is definitely harder to find 
documentation and, and tutorials and stuff about my scanner just because I think it is running on the old, older side. Um, and I think a lot of people are just using their digital cameras to do the scanning, which, you know, we've talked about that. And while I think it is a totally fair approach to doing it, it, in my opinion, was more challenging than this flatbed mm. scanner approach. Yeah. And I pulled out that box of uh, slides that my grandma gave me, and I will have to... Ooh. Uh, I have to try to scan those sometime soon. And I'd my, like to get an actual scanner before I do that, though. Yeah, and my scanner does have... It came with filmed... Or not filmed trays, but trays for slides. So are they are they just like 35 millimeter slides? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, mine came with trays to do that. So, yeah, that'd be really cool. All right. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Uh, yes. Super random question. Why do audio spikes, you know when you look at an audio track, why do audio spikes not always appear exactly symmetrical about the line? They're nearly symmetrical, but not always exactly the same. Uh, what do you mean, above and below? Yes. Yeah, so you the know you line? have the center line, right? And then... It uh-huh. it ex- the when you give it an input, it goes up and down, but it does that on like either side of the line, up and down, right? Yeah, it's not always exactly symmetrical. Why is that? I don't know what uh, what the portion below the line even means, because above the line I think is volume, so I don't know what below the line means. Um, I'm used to looking like an EQ. An equalizer, mm-hmm. or I think you've got. It's been a while since I've actually looked at one. I used to have this plugin for my software where I could actually visualize the, the tones. I guess on the EQ, and on the left you have your bass, and then on the right you have your treble. Okay. Your highs and your lows. Uh huh. And you could actually add on a limiter. I guess you might call it. That would allow you to like v- like draw on the screen what frequencies you wanted it to allow in and which ones you wanted it to cut out. Wow, which was really nice. Um, when I had to replace my drive, uh, I lost that plugin and I can't get the new. P- I re-downloaded the plugin, but I can't get it to sync up with my software for some reason. That is um, so sad. Yeah, so. I think the waveform you see is just volume, though, whereas that, it looks, a visible EQ, visual EQ looks like a waveform, but it's actually more of, the spikes are, where they are on the screen tells you what tone is playing. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I know the bare minimum about audio. Which is more I than I know. <laughs> I know enough to edit podcasts. Um, I know enough podcast, to make sure to set the gain on my mic so I'm not clipping. Yeah. My other podcast, Movie Malarkey, if you want to go check that out. Uh, my co-host it just has a like a gaming headset that he's recording on. Mm. And there's some... I, I usually have to just crank his audio. The problem is every once in a while when he laughs, he gets a an air puff that hits his microphone and that just blows it up. <laughs> blows it out and i get a huge spike so i've been it's like some weeks it's okay and other weeks i gotta put some audio effects on yeah. usually i had to crank the gain way up to get so that you can hear him well and then i have to put let's see there's gates and there's compressors and i can't remember which does which i think a compressor um uh, brings the loud stuff down and brings the low stuff up it's like an automatic volume adjustment. And then the gate, I believe, basically shuts off his recording if it drops below a certain level. Um, Interesting. Which is really great for cutting out the static in between when he's talking oh. because when I crank the gain way up, it's real staticky when he's not talking. So ah. wow. I know that those That's things fancy. exist. And I usually just... I just play with them every time i edit the episode to get it to sound right that works that but i works. should go and i should go and watch some tutorials about how to use them correctly because uh and i'm sure there's probably better ways to even remove static and stuff but this is what i have figured out so far nice 
That's that's pretty cool, honestly. Yeah. Okay, um, that was my random side tangent based on looking at my recording screen in Audacity and just looking at my waveform. So, end hmm. side tangent here. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what those negative spikes do or what they mean. Okay. All right. Back to you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so, I... I've been working on my guitar more since we talked last, and I have a bit of show and tell to do, but it's very heavy, so bear with me. Um, you may hear some clanking and some clanging, and I may be a little further from the microphone okay. than is okay. ideal, but here we go. All right. All right. Let's see. I'm going to stand up here. Ooh, stand up show and tell. I feel so oh, yeah. sad for the audience that they can't actually see this. Like I can. I know. But that's why you and I are going to have to do a good job of explaining what is going on. We'll try to be good narrators. So, I'm going to start off with my side bending jig, which I told you about but never showed you because it's so heavy. And you're about to show us. Wow. I'm about to reveal it for the very first time. So at first on EW. Or heard it first anyway. <laughs> Saw it on the radio, heard it on TV. Wow. That is so, huge. It's very heavy. You can see it's got the side profile of half the guitar. Yeah. And then I've got these... Wow. These uh, eye bolts on the end with uh, plywood discs that uh-huh. I've made that have threaded inserts in them so I can mm-hmm. tighten and loosen it as need be. Mm-hmm. So it's basically just a knob for tightening and loosening it. Mm-hmm. And then up top here, for pressing in the waist... I have a small car jack, uh, scissors jack, I think you'd call that. Okay, yeah. And you can turn it by hand. It's so the screw, I guess, gears it down enough. Um, you don't have to have a lever on it to mm-hmm. press in the side. And then you can see on the bottom here, I've got a, uh, a call that's the same shape as the waist. Oh, okay. And I planed that in so it's very close, and then I put a layer of... Um, cork on it cork sheeting okay to just kind of add a little bit of padding there uh-huh so on the ends of the guitar you see i have these i was telling you about these eye eye bolts yes that slot into this this uh clamping call at the end uh-huh so basically you put your wood on yeah everything gets up to temp and i'll tell you about that in a little bit and then you press it down and around these radiuses and then the call has slots in the end that fit into the bolts. I see that. So you so link it up on both sides. Clamp it. So the bolt can then clamp it on the end to hold the wood down. Now, do you only have? Do you only do that in one location, basically? So you only have the. So I saw you had to look like four eye bolts in total. So you're only going to be yeah. clamping it, well, if you include the car jack jig on top, that would be a total of three clamping locations, clamping points? Yep. Nice. I would have imagined you would have needed more, but I guess those are all the, the, I guess the spots where they would need it. The low points where it would yeah. uh, need to be clamped against the surface because the the radius is it will hold itself against right the radius is basically pushing it out so it doesn't need yep. any clamping okay interesting that's that's a unless very cool had, jig unless you had like something super springy and you didn't clamp the ends down well it could try to like bow up there but mm. i don't think uh that's ever an issue with wood there are certainly are some that have uh an extra one at like the top of each each bout, mm-hmm. which we talked about in the other podcast, the the high points or the widest points. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think those are necessary, mm-hmm. but uh, some some manufacturers put those on there. But I built my own out of uh, particle board and two by fours and a car jack. Some people have, they'll just use like uh, some wood clamps to hold it down in the center, and they'll just like push it down by hand and then clamp it in place. Uh, that's super tedious and hard to use. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't tried it, but it looks difficult. And then some people, or the professional ones, will actually have like a single screw in the center that you just screw down. Okay. Um, it was going to be hard for me to do that without getting any wobble, so I just used the car jack because that just goes straight up and down. Mm-hmm. And the top and bottom stay parallel, so it's perfect for this. 
and it's pretty reasonably compact and every car you buy has one and <laughs> we've got plenty of junk cars around the place so i have no shortage of these little jacks yeah it, lo- it looks like it works really well the way you set that up yeah i made a press for pressing kydex uh once before which is basically plastic sheets you can get and heat mm-hmm. up and then you press some use foam to press them around objects mm-hmm. similar to vacuum uh forming almost yeah and i used a car jack for that as well Oh, nice. Okay. All right. So now I'm ready to show you. Oh, big I was reveal. On this, right before we uh, got on this call, I was working on this. Wow. And uh, that's why I was almost late. I was trying to get <laughs> everything glued up before we came on the call, but uh-huh. uh, that didn't happen. So um, here is what's called a mold. Oh, wow. So it's a, <laughs> you can see I've got my oh, sides. Oh, wow. In those are your sides. Oh, dude, that's yep. so cool. So the mold is pieces of wood that form the outline of the guitar. So uh-huh. your bent sides fit inside of that. And then there are spreader bars that you use to push it against the outside. Almost like reverse clamping. I mean, I guess uh, it is clamping to the, the outside, but you're, yeah, the, you're, you're so, working pieces on the inside of this mold. And it might make it easier if you just Google like a guitar mold with you know the clamps inside, mm-hmm. um, or guitar building, guitar mold, whatever. Um, so the clamps inside, I use some turnbuckles. So it's it's basically an eye bolt on each end, and you got the center portion that you can turn to tighten it up. So you'd use that on like ropes or chains or cables mm-hmm. as you're trying to tighten. Um, and then I made a custom shaped call on each end that fits the. Uh, shape of the mold perfectly and to do that i actually cut out this i cut out the mold at the same time i cut out the pieces for this the side bender oh and so i used a real thin blade on my bandsaw so that i don't get too much uh variation there Mm -hmm. basically you need about three millimeters difference because you got to figure the difference in the sides and so it came out pretty close okay i see um so I cut those out at the same time, and then everything got basically screwed together in layers, and I used a flush-cut router bit to get everything to the same size. And then I went over everything with a file to make sure everything was nice and square and neat and even. And that was a long process, and I made a <laughs> lot of sawdust. Yeah. Um, and then I used, I think it was like, oh boy, 40-grit sandpaper, so real rough stuff. And I basically stuck it on these curves and used that to sand in. Like, I I cut the shapes roughly, but then I used that to sand in the the calls or the the wood pieces on the end so that they fit perfectly around my uh, wood that I'm clamping in. Okay, so so I'm I'm having a hard time understanding what the calls are. Can you describe those for me? Well, so, you know, like if you clamp something and you put a piece of wood under the clamp to keep it from denting your... Yeah. So your bottom piece that you're clamping or your finished piece. So the calls are designed to press against the wood without denting it, and they are formed to the shape of the wood. Oh, okay. So so it's not pressing in one point, and it can actually press around a radius. Oh, so like in the last jig you showed me, that car jack... That was pressing that that call was shaped to the side the body side. Yeah, the center call was, and yeah. the other ones on the ends can just be flat because of that. Point. Right, it is flat. The ends do just run off flat. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me lift this thing up again. It's quite heavy. <laughs> it looks massive. I'd say it probably feels like it's like twenty or thirty pounds. Wow. Um. So you can see those Man. the shape of those calls in there. Yeah, okay, yeah, I see that clearly now. Wow, that is so neat to look at. One at the lower bout, one at the waist, and then one at the upper bout. Yeah. And then I had to leave enough space up top so that I can get in my, um, my, I think it's a head block and a heel block. Because we were talking about that last time, and uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. I couldn't remember what they were called. Um so those are the blocks that go inside the guitar. Mm-hmm. So the head block, I believe, is where the uh, neck connects. Mm-hmm. And then the heel block is at the bottom of the guitar. So I actually got my heel block glued in. 
as you can see there, it's all clamped up. Oh, wow. Yeah. I glued it right before we came on the episode, and I can actually probably take these clamps off now while we're talking. Um, and then the top I was actually working on. Let me set this thing back down. Whew. Getting, getting a workout uh, in there? <laughs> yeah. The head block I was working on right before we came on a call, on the call. So the top and bottom of the sides, you know, where they join together. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the bottom has a slight radius to it, but it's it's almost exactly flat. Okay. And then the top part should be exactly flat because the neck needs to fit on it. Makes sense. Um, so it should be as square as possible. You can, of course, adjust your neck to make it work if it's got a slight radius, but it should be as square as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got my bottom pieces aligned as well as I could. I put a piece of 100 grit sandpaper over it, and then I just took my block and just ran it back and forth so that it would then take on the shape that the two bottom halves already have. So it fits them perfectly. Nice. And then glued everything up, and it seemed to go very well. And then I just got to do the head block, and that I'm going to make sure it's as square as possible. So hopefully it can just kind of conform the sides to it if they're a little bit off, but Mm -hmm. they shouldn't be. So I noticed you had... A gap. Uh, it looked like maybe like an eighth of an inch gap between the at the top between the two sides. What uh-huh. is that just going to go away? Even though it's it's conformed to the mold right now, are you going to I guess reduce it the size just by a hair so that those touch? Uh, no. It it all depends on how you're building your guitar. You can build them so that they touch perfectly. Mm-hmm. I guess on the bottom that would be most critical. Um, I'm going to put in a wedge at the bottom, a decorative wedge. Oh, okay. From the beginning. So that'll actually get cut even wider than it currently is. So the wedge can fit in there. So the wedge. And then. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, and I was just going to say up at the top, the neck covers that whole area up so they don't have to touch perfectly at all. And you end up cutting out the mortise anyway for the tenon from the neck to fit in. Mm -hmm. So you, you end up cutting it wider anyway. So the wedge, you, you're you going to have the wedge run on the back of the guitar, right? Yep. So is it going to, like, wrap around then up through the... No, there'll be, be two separate pieces. Yeah, but, like, that look, the look of the wood mm-hmm. that you're going to use. Okay, I see. That makes yeah, yeah. sense. Wow, that's mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah, so it'll be very similar. Um, I still have to look at it. And decide based on the way the grain goes, which which side is going to be up and which side is going to be down. Oh. And mainly, yeah. it's going to the two sides. You really got to look at most is like when you're playing it, what side's up and which way do you want the grain going? Or is there any oh. figuring you want pointing a certain way? Mm-hmm. And then how is it going to interact with that heel block? Those are going to be the main areas people are going to see and look at. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know around the neck, you want it to look nice there too. But those are going to be like I think the most critical areas. And when you're bending the sides, we'll we'll get into this quick. So I've watched a ton of videos. I've never bent sides before. Basically, you you take your piece of wood and you spray it down with uh, just a nice light spritzing of water. Mm -hmm. And then you wrap it. Some people wrap it in paper and then wrap it in foil. I just wrap mine in foil right away, but I should have put paper on it as well. The paper just helps absorb the saps and resins that come out of the wood. Interesting. And... I think should help with allowing you to do a little less sanding at the end. Um, it's not a huge deal. It's super easy to get it off. Okay. But uh, it kind of clogs up your sandpaper a little bit. Hmm. So I'd use scrapers mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just had foil so that sap couldn't go anywhere. The foil just kind of helps hold the water in, helps hold the heat in a little bit. And then you, on the bottom, you have a thin sheet of, some people use like spring steel. It's like uh, five, six inches wide by 36 inches long, roughly. Okay. And then you put your wood wrapped in foil on top of that. Mm-hmm. And you put your heating blanket on top of that. And then you put another piece of thin, long metal on top of that. So it's a big sandwich that you make. Mm-hmm. Then you put it in your wood bender and you let it come up to temperature. So everything's bending. The entire sandwich is bending. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Okay. All the layers. Um, 
I could not find any good videos or recommendations on temperatures and how long things need to heat up. Ooh. I've watched a couple <laughs> of videos where people heat it up to this temperature and then they start bending. Some people just set it to start heating and then they just kind of feel when it's ready to bend and then they bend everything. And it seems like pretty much people just, you get it bent within 10 to 15 minutes and then you everything's clamped and you shut it off and leave it. Um, I also heard from another video that it's good to leave the heat on for like 20 minutes after the fact to let all the saps and stuff really get get heated up and warmed up and softened up. Mm-hmm. And so I bent my sides the first time doing the kind of the first method. I got everything bent as quickly as I could without cracking the wood. And you can kind of feel when the wood start and get soft and ready to bend. Hmm. It's kind of neat. Interesting. Um, and then, and actually I said three millimeters earlier. The sides are about two millimeters. Um, okay. The top and back are about three. That's really so, thin. Yeah. So I got everything all bent up nicely. Didn't hear any cracking. <laughs> That's good. And everything seemed like it was going good. I let it sit for, the one video said, uh, let it sit until it reaches room temperature, which makes sense because then everything's solidified again, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I started taking off the center center press and it started springing back on me. And I took off the ends and they started springing back on me. So I don't know what was going on there. So I just turned on the heat and I left it on for like 20 minutes Uh with everything all clamped up. And then shut it off and just left it for a couple hours. When I came back, no spring back issues. Oh, wow. But when I took it out of the uh, foil, it looks like I burnt it ever so slightly because I think the wood's oh. a bit darker than it should be. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't think I wrecked it. I think it's still got its structural integrity, but it's darker than I intended. It'll still look good. And I got the second side burnt evenly, so they look the same. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah. But I got to I gotta figure out the temperatures there because we're talking about... You get it to about 200 degrees, and it should Fahrenheit? be good to bend. And then some people talk, yeah, okay. Fahrenheit. Um, some people talk about getting up to, uh, if we were talking in Celsius, that would be close to 400 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's Yeah, okay, up. yeah. <laughs> um, um, but some people talk about letting it get up to 300, but not wanting to go over 300 or not wanting to keep it there for very long. People are just throwing out all kinds of numbers and different theories. And, and sure, there are a thousand different ways to bend at different temperatures. And, some people yeah. have it ramp up slowly. Some people just let it get the temperature as quick as possible. But yeah, I couldn't find anybody that really just explained well what needs to happen with the temperature. So hmm. I was kind of winging it. And and I'm sure it varies from for each wood type, right? Yes. Um, East Indian rosewood is a very common one for beginners, and a lot of guitars are just made of it. To uh-huh. be it's beautiful wood, and it bends easy, yeah. and it's fairly inexpensive. Um, I can't remember if it's Madagascar rosewood or where the like the really nice rosewood comes from, um, but it's basically endangered now because it was huh. so heavily logged back in the day. Yeah. Um, so any new stuff is basically coming out of stumps and things that they're like oh, really? hauling out of the ground and wow. cutting into boards because it's so difficult to find now, legally anyway. Interesting. Um, so there are very similar rosewoods like East Indian rosewood, for example, uh, which I believe is what I used. I think there's a couple of different kinds of rosewoods. Huh. So, okay, uh, so qu- quick question. Going back to um, the burned wood, is that possible to sand off at all or are you already at the thickness that you need no, to be at. I th- think I'll do a little bit of finish sanding, but I think it pretty much darkened the entire piece because it's so thin. Mm. Okay. So I did some scraping, and it takes off the sap and the, the resins and stuff that are on the surface, and it looks a little lighter, mm-hmm. but I think it darkened the whole thing. Mm. Okay, interesting. So I'll have to remember to keep my temperatures lower next time and try to maybe cook it for less time and hopefully it still works. Because my second one, I bent the same way and it had spring back as well. So I did the same thing, heated it up, clamped it for a while and uh, left it for a couple hours and it was fine. Like basically no spring back. Hmm. Um, and it conformed to the, the size of the shape of the mold very well. So I was pretty impressed. Yeah, it seems so wild to me that you can permanently deform wood into mm-hmm. a new shape it's crazy. and then just like uh-huh. it stays that way that just seems wild to me i'm also very happy to report that they did not crack at all so that oh that crazy. is good yeah i would be terrified so, of doing that my first time the difficult 
part was, and this is another thing, everybody just breezes over this in all their instructional videos. <laughs> um, so you throw your piece of wood in there, your whole sandwich, it's several layers thick. Mm-hmm. You can't tell where anything exactly is. And normally you want, you know, something to reference off of. People put a, a kind of a, a light general line where they want the waist to be. And then you slap it in there and you just clamp everything down. But you got to get your ends because these are book matched, your left and right side. Oh. And you have to get your ends exactly the same so that the grain meets up perfectly at the bottom, which is, in my case, I'm doing the decorative wedge, so it's not as critical. You could be off by a little bit, and your eye won't be able to tell what the grain did, you know, in between there. But if you were trying to match them up perfectly, like some guitars have, you've got to have them end at the same spot. The problem is you're bending from the center and then bending down. You're not starting at the end. And I've seen some people... That's... Or I've seen a video of a guy that did that. It looks very difficult because you have to try to bend the entire piece, like from one end, and work your way down. That's actually huge. Like, yeah. Wow. And nobody talks about it in their videos. They just slap it in. I've seen probably six or eight videos, good videos of really good, competent luthiers. They just throw them in and then they bend them, and they never mention how to get the the ends to meet up perfectly because you want it to in theory overhang just a little bit because the sides are made slightly oversized okay yeah uh-huh um so how do you get that overhang just right nobody talks about it so i just kind of <gasps> slapped it in and got it as close as i could um yeah they definitely did not line up very well and then the second big thing is your wood could potentially be slightly off square it's in this big sandwich uh, if it's not running perfectly parallel with your side bending form, mm-hmm. it's going to be off square and your ends won't match up. Uh, top to bottom wise, it, I don't know if there's a better way to ex- describe that to you, what I'm talking about. Yeah, not sure. If you I'm... know, if you're trying to bend a piece of paper in half, but if you don't have the ends square, okay, the crease won't run down them, it won't run down the center of the paper okay. and your ends won't line up. Yeah. So that's basically what you're doing here, except they don't touch. Okay, you're, interesting. It's like, yeah, I guess. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's like trying to fold a piece of paper in the center without referencing the ends. <laughs> that's basically what you're doing here. And people, they just, they make the sandwich, they slap it in, they bend it up. And so then you have these two halves that are slightly off square with each other. And so when the ends come together, they're slightly misaligned. Yeah, yeah, I and see so you that. Need, you need your grain to line up. Nobody talks about this. This is a problem. This and that overhang thing. I thought about these ahead of time, and I kept trying to find videos where somebody talked about it. Nobody mentioned it. Everybody just slaps it in, and it just magically <laughs> works for them. Huh. So I did the same thing, and what do you know? I had the same issue that I expected I would have. One ended up slightly off kilter. Huh, how interesting. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, it's amazing how many little things that you have to pay attention to throughout the process. Uh huh. <laughs> it kind of like it brings all of your woodworking skills together. Yeah, I feel like um, my brain would need to be running like on all cylinders, just like at every step of the way to make sure I don't miss something like that. Yeah, like I said, I've been doing a little bit of research, you know, basically all the time for a couple of years. You know, I'm just kind of always keeping my eyes open when I see guitars or anything about guitar building. I'm mm-hmm. always paying attention. Um, order of operations for building a guitar is hugely important as well. Really? Let me just quickly go back to the side bending thing. So mm-hmm. what I did to fix it, I made sure that the bottom of the guitar, those two ends are lined up very well. Um, they're still not lengthwise i had to cut a little bit more off of one than the other i think but they were pretty close okay and then uh, so i I left that gap like i was telling you about because i'm going to end up cutting out more of that and doing that end wedge Mm -hmm. which is basically an inlay and then for the top the neck is going to cover it so it's still not hypercritical there but the top of the guitar body is narrower than the bottom of the guitar sidewise the side Maybe you want to look at it as height. The height of the side yeah. is narrower mm-hmm. up near the neck than it is at the base. So that little bit of misalignment, I, I'll I'll have so much wood to cut down that I can cut that misalignment out. But nice. the grain still doesn't match up perfectly. Yeah. 
The nice thing is they're sides, so you don't really have much to compare left and right to if everything's lined up except for at the neck and at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So I think I'll, I think it'll look good, and as long as I don't point it out to anybody, they won't notice. And even if I did, I don't think anybody's going to notice because I've looked at a bunch of guitars when I'm trying to build this, when I'm trying to do a little bit of research to build this thing. Mm-hmm. I have never stop to compare those two sides. So <laughs> yeah. I think it'll be I think it'll be okay. I did not make this the mistake of bending two right sides or two left sides cuz you got to pay attention to the way the grain is oriented. Oh. And make sure you put them in the the bender oh, correctly. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> and I uh, so I did that I did that correctly. I double checked and double checked. Um wait one second here. Okay. One. Did a little bit more work on my I was pretty close there, wasn't I? You were, you were uh, yeah. Very good. Did some more work on my neck. So I got these, I should have brought one to show you, but a barrel, a bunch of barrel nuts. So basically, barrel nuts. it's a round piece of rod. It's like a little cylinder that's been drilled through the side okay. and threaded. Okay, and yeah. And those, so you've seen my neck here, you've seen the slot I oh, cut yeah. for the truss oh, wow. rod. Oh, it's looking so now, good, dude. Now I cut my oh, mortise. man. Yeah. Cut, roughed it out with the bandsaw. Uh huh. You can see right there I've drawn in where the heel cap will go. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be wider than most guitars, but I like that really? little bit of extra. It does not look of, wider. Yeah, it's uh maybe fifteen, twenty percent wider. Oh wow, okay. I've um, never noticed. I just there are some that have super wide heels and some that just have your kind of your standard size, and I kind of went in between. Okay. I like that kind of pointed shape that they have because mm-hmm. there are some that are just kind of rounded, and those don't have much definition. Mm-hmm. I like that it's kind of got that sharp line running down the center mm-hmm. on some of them. Um, but I made it a little wider just because I feel like that's a little bit of extra surface area to contact the guitar. You know, it's... It's not going to make a difference as far as sound because the block inside is even wider than that still. Yeah. So it's not like you're deadening anything. Uh-huh. It just gives you more surface area to contact. And I don't believe most people glue their necks in. Um, oh, There's really? several different ways to do it. But I think most people use the mortise and tenon and they bolt them on. Um, there's a couple different ways to bolt it on. And you can also do like a dovetail. Uh-huh. And I think think this may be more what the like mass produced ones do because you know they can use cnc and make everything super repeatable yeah um and you can certainly route out dovetails and do them but it just takes more time fitting them up mm-hmm. so i'm just going to use the mortise and tenon mm-hmm. so you can see i drilled my holes there for my barrel nuts mm-hmm. and then i've got holes running lengthwise that will accept my quarter 20 bolts mm-hmm. and those will go in through the inside of the guitar through that uh again i believe it's called the heel block mm-hmm. yep so i cut my mortise slightly oversized with the bandsaw so that i can use files and sandpaper and chisels to get it down to exact size nice and uh the there's a flat edge where it's supposed to meet up the guitar body i cut that slightly oversized about an eighth of an inch so i can creep up to the line on that as well and then a cool trick is once you get this pressed against, you know, fit in and pressed up against the guitar, you can actually take a, take a piece of sandpaper and run it between the guitar body and the neck, and that will help it to even further take on the shape of the body. Oh, yeah. So you get a super tight fit up. Now, most people, I'm pretty sure, just stick the, the tenon in the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think the mortise is the hollow and the tenon is the, the sticky out bit. bed. <laughs> lack of a better way to <laughs> yep, describe yep, that. Yeah, that's, um, that's good. And I don't think most people glue them up because that way you can take your neck off and make adjustments later if you want to. Yeah. But most commercial guitars I don't think are bolted on. I've never seen bolts inside. Hmm. I've never looked so inside. So I'm not them. entirely sure how they do that, but I think that they just have everything fit up tight enough that you don't need that. Okay. Anyway, I'm doing a bolt-on neck. Yeah. Some people, rather than using the barrel nuts, will just use threaded inserts, and that just makes me nervous as I'll get out because those just look like they're going to pull out. Yeah. Especially, <laughs> especially when you know there's like 120 to 150 pounds of pressure on the neck. Uh-huh. So that's a bit scary to me, so that's why I want the barrel nut route. It still looks scary because if you look at how much wood there actually is, 
Yeah. Between the <laughs> the holes and the ends, there's, there's not, not a much lot there. So I don't know. I guess if worst comes to worst, I've got a lot of gluing surface here, and I can get everything set in, and I just glue it up and then bolt it in place <laughs> if I need to. Um, haven't done really a lot more work with it. I've still got my nice um, headstock there. That looks really nice. I've, I've been trying really hard not to dent it or damage it, and at some point I need to go over it with some sandpaper and get the profile fitted in better. It's kind of roughed in as is. Mm-hmm. One of my next steps after I glue up the the heel the head block on the uh, guitar mm-hmm. body the sides, which hopefully I'll be doing later tonight. Um, my next step will be to start working on the fingerboard to glue that on, Ooh. and I need to make a a miter box mm-hmm. because. You have to have very specific spacing. Now, one thing I was reading about is I'm pretty sure every fret is one eighteenth the length shorter than the last one, or closer to the <laughs> the nut than the last one, uh, for lack of a better way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. To, you know, you measure from the nut to the bridge, basically. And you take one eighteenth of that, and you go down from the nut, and that's where your first fret is. And then you measure from that fret down to the bridge, and you take one eighteenth of that, and that's where you put your next fret. Uh-huh. And then they slowly get closer and closer together as they go down. So I think that's how that works. I'm probably going to end up buying a template mm-hmm. because they come pre-cut with notches in them. Ooh. And then you basically just have a pin in your uh, miter box. So miter box is just what holds your saw, your saw mm-hmm. um, straight up and down, so you get a square cut. Both so the sides, the saw is not tipped side to side, and uh, so that it, it's lengthwise is level and square, mm-hmm. and also um, what I say, straight up and down <laughs> lengthwise, and then you don't want it tipped either. Um, yeah, very square cut. Yeah. In all directions, and so that template you stick your sound or your fingerboard onto that with like double sided tape, mm-hmm. and then that template you just move it along, and there's like a pin that it indexes off of. So, and little notches in the template, so you you advance it by a set amount every time. Nice. Okay. I can I can do that, or I can just get the measurements and measure it out, and make a little pencil mark. Mm-hmm where each uh, fret is supposed to be. That seems a little bit less precise to me, so I'd rather do the uh, the template method, but they're like 60 bucks a piece. Hmm. So I don't know if I want to shell out for that. So I may just measure them and try to make sure the saw is set up perfectly. Is there... But I need to, uh, I need to make a miter box because they're about $150 for a nice aluminum one with bearings. Ooh. So I'll probably make myself one. Is there a template you can print out that would be precise enough? Or would you get or do you think that'd be even less precise than just measuring? Yeah, I think that would be even less precise because you know how hard it is to get things to on printers to turn out <laughs> yeah, the size. Yeah, that's you want. true. So, yeah, I don't think that's an option at all. You can buy guitar plans that have all that printed out. Mm. You know, you get big sheets of paper. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going that route because I don't have that kind of money. (laughs) And I'm making my own custom guitar, so. Yeah. I don't want to follow plans. Um, So, yeah, that's about all I got to say about that. That's really exciting. You've made some serious progress. I wish the audience could see... Uh, your bent sides over there because that looks so cool. Mm-hmm. It's so crazy to think that just a, a simple guy like myself could actually bend wood like that. Yeah, <laughs> it just, it's it's wild, honestly. And the fact that it doesn't spring back too, mm-hmm. that's that's really insane. It's crazy. So I got to start thinking on my next guitar what I want to use for wood. Maybe maybe something a little more exotic. Um, what was that kind of wood that uh? You told me about it starts with a Z, I think. Zirikoti. Zirikoti. Yeah. I think it's it may also be pronounced Zirikote. I think it's Z I R I C O T E. But it looks really pretty. Yeah. It's about five hundred dollars for uh, I think a back and side set. 
and I don't want to shell out that much money for the back and sides when I I started building a guitar because I couldn't afford a $500 guitar. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know if I want to shell that out just for a part of the guitar that I'm building. Better, uh, better be careful not to toast that sandwich too long if you use Zerko. Yeah, and I saw a video of a guy trying so to build it and... And he cracked it. Oh, so dude, that's got to hurt so much, man. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. So we'll see what I figure out. I've got a friend who has, I think he said a mahogany top hmm. and maybe back. And he said, I think he said there's blackwood as well. Or he believes there's blackwood, which I had not heard of being used in guitars. But his guitar sounds beautiful. Hmm. Um, and I think the softer wood of the spruce on top is usually what gives it a nice bassy sound. And that's kind of what you're after is that bass, mm-hmm. uh, output on an acoustic guitar. Cause it's easy to get it sounding high pitched and tinny, but trying to get it to sound nice and bassy, that's yeah. a little more difficult. So I'll probably do a little more research as to what effect different kinds of woods and hardnesses have on guitars and uh-huh. figure out what my next one should be. Huh? Wow. Yeah. It's so crazy that like. At everything like every step of the way in this custom guitar you're building can can affect the sound like yeah. everything just from the the wood types to the bracing and just like everything it's amazing yeah. so I'll, I'll be ready to start putting bracing on pretty soon but before i do that i need to work on the rosette i got to figure out what i'm going to do there mm. for the sound mm-hmm. hole around the sound hole mm-hmm. and um, I need to actually cut the sound hole as well. I've got to get some shellac before I do all that because they recommend shellacking or whatever finish I use. I'll probably end up using shellac in the uh-huh. end. Authentic, um, natural, all natural. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, they recommend shellacking around those fine areas because you get less tear out when you're routing. Oh, and okay. And so... I'll probably do that, but I can't find shellac anywhere. Oh, wow. uh, all I can find is the amber-tinted stuff, and I tried that. It makes your wood look really yellow. So I'm trying to find the clear stuff, and I can't find it anywhere. So Man, that's terrible. I wonder if... Even the st- wonder if I had some stuff on Amazon, and I put it in my cart, and like two weeks later, I was looking at it, and like, oh, this product is no longer available. Oh, wow. that's great. Interesting. So, yeah, we'll see what I can find there. Maybe I'll have to use something well, else. Who knows? Reach out to us at enthusiasticwitter at gmail.com if you have any clear shellac you can hook Cody up with. <laughs> there you go. I think it, the stuff I got was like $15 for a pint? For, for a, a pint? pint? Maybe it's a quart. A pint. Maybe it's a quart. How many pints are in a quart? Um, two pints to a quart, two quarts to a half a gallon, two half gallons to a gallon. <laughs> Why did you go to a half gallon? It's always four quarts to a gallon. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. But that's how you remember it. Oh, okay. Well, I, par- I, mean, I apparently don't remember the steps. wrong. It doubles, it doubles every time. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. So you can't skip you that half there. gallon and just say, oh, there's four quarts. Oh, Okay. Two, two quarts yeah, to a half. It really gallon. makes no difference, but but if you're trying to remember, like what is a half of a half a gallon? Well, how do I know which comes first, pints or quarts? What if two quarts go to quart. a pint? No, but a quart is a half a gallon. Or I'm sorry, a quart is a quarter of a gallon. Oh, and a half a gallon is a half of a ha- gallon. Oh, so then you okay. remember pints are a half of a quart, so one eighth of a gallon. Uh, I'm always going to remember now. Yep, and I think there's 128 cups to a gallon. Oh, that's a lot of cups. <laughs> yeah. It, so, it sounds like a nice spoons. number, though. No, that sounds like way too much now that I'm thinking about it. Maybe that's teaspoons? Teaspoons. Well, let's see. Oh, wow, teaspoons? Tees- tablespoons, maybe? Uh, I'm sorry. There are 16 cups to a gallon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, wait. So let's see. I know two tablespoons, I think two tablespoons make a quarter cup. So let's see. If there's two tablespoons in a quarter cup, that's 
8 tablespoons per cup. 8 times 16, 8 times 10 is 80. 6 times 8 is 48. <gasps> That's 128. There's 128 tablespoons per gallon. Okay, that's at least I'm not crazy. You're not crazy. 128. I did have 128 from somewhere. Yeah, 128 cups is way too many. That's 128 tablespoons. 16 cups. Yep, there we go. Okay, so tune back into Enthusiastic Witter for all your kitchen measurement needs. Yes, or finishing measurement needs. Yes. All right, so that's where I'm at with my guitar build. I got to do, oh, like I said, I, so I got to do the rosette. Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out if I want to do that traditionally where there's strips of wood that get basically wrapped around in a circle. Mm-hmm. And you get layers, or you can also just use blocks of wood. But then you got to sand those perfectly to get them to fit around in a circle. Mm. So basically it's a bunch of wedges that go together. Interesting. So I was thinking about using a cherry burl. Ooh. Um, you've seen that. I have seen used it. that for a project. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about that, but I also kind of want to not use too many different kinds of wood because I could use like a different kind of wood for every piece of this guitar, yeah. and it just wouldn't look very good. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to be consistent. I may choose a wood that I've already used or maybe choose something super exotic. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do there. Mm-hmm. I want it to look nice but not be too uh, distracting. Mm-hmm. So still trying to figure out what to do there. And then the back, before I brace that, I need to cut in the groove for the inlaid wedge on the back, which is going to be very, very difficult. Yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) All right. Well, that's all I got. Thanks for listening to Enthusiastic Witter. As Christopher said, send us an email, enthusiasticwitter at gmail.com. Whether or not you have shellac, send us an email anyway. (laughs) Or you can go through the Anchor app and leave us a voice recording, and that would be super cool. That would be really cool. Yep. All right, that's all we got for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk at you later. Bye. Bye.